Welcome to the Own Your Potential audio series, where you'll hear stories from leaders across the globe about how they've taken control of their career growth and lessons on how you can too. I'm Peter Scherba. And I'm Adrian Graham. And this is episode seven with Geraldine White. I'm not allowed to be intimidated. Geraldine, tell us a little bit about your career journey. I started my career on the client side in a business consulting role. I was at 1-800-Flowers at a time that it was becoming 1-800-Flowers.com. I remember helping to craft a deal with AOL, uh, realizing that the the internet was actually going to happen, which sounds bizarre now, but, you know, luckily it, it did um, after my time there, I had my first agency role in 2000. I started off at Foot Conan Belding um, in client services. I worked on Hilton Hotels and, and Taco Bell. Um, I moved from there to Omnicom at Dale Dane and Birnbach, working on ExxonMobil for about four years and leading some large-scale programs for, for them, including their their first um, foray into, into e-commerce. Um, from there, I went to Publicis. Um, and it was actually while I was at Publicis, leading again in client services, some efforts across CPG, uh, automotive, pharma, um, that I was actually doing a competitive analysis for, for a team um, against other agencies we were competing against in a pitch. And it was the first time I had learned or heard about Sapient. And I had sort of gone through the, the other agencies in, in the list and done some research, and I wasn't really impressed by any of them one way or the other. But when I got to Sapien, I was like, oh, this actually could be a problem. And sure enough, it was. It, and it ended up, it was the LensCrafters work um, that was done out of Boston. We certainly lost that pitch to Sapien. And, and what I realized, it was the diversity of thought. The fact that technology was brought in at the forefront of the engagement and the sort of cross-capability um, and cross-functionality collaboration that was the, the sort of differentiating factor for Sapient. So when the opportunity presented itself um, in 2011, I joined Sapient, what was Legacy Sapient, and I've, I've been here uh, ever since. And I did start in a delivery capacity, leading some large-scale tech implementations, as well as a tremendous amount of creative work. Um, but what I knew in terms of my purpose and my sort of benefit to the organization was I was called in a lot of times for difficult cl- conversations and difficult clients. But ultimately, what I was really doing, I ultimately had a focus on people. In terms of how I got to my current role, that focus on people and its continuity was always there, but there were definitely significant times throughout my career that I had experiences that related directly to notions of diversity, equity, and inclusion that sort of ignited a passion in me for me to to know that this is what I really should always have been doing. Um, I'll share briefly with you one of those experiences I was at a particular entity that I will always allow to remain nameless throughout that journey I just described. I was coming up in the elevator with a gentleman who was as high in leadership as you could go. And in his attempt to actually connect with me, he looked at me and he said, I, I don't think I've seen you before. Whose admin are you? Now, while there's absolutely nothing wrong with being an admin, um, from his lens, you know, based on my race and my gender, that was the only thing I could have been doing in the organization. And at that moment, I had a couple of choices, right? I had a very human and visceral reaction to being minimized, so what I felt in, in that way, um, or boxed in, in that way. But at the same time, I really, instead, I took it as an opportunity to educate. Um, and so instead, I told him who I was, what I did in the organization, and the revenue attached to it. 
And um, it was the, the first time of many, many times throughout my career that I took that lens instead to bring education and awareness and hopefully impart change. Um, there were definitely many instances <laughs> that happened after that, but you know, this is, and, and continue to happen, frankly, but that, that ability to sort of be able to impart change is, is what led me to my current role, um, to be able to do it in the magnitude that I currently am. Knowing that those things weren't just happening to me, they were happening to other people in the margins, and how could I actually make a difference? What strategies for self-advocacy and self-promotion have worked well for you in your career? So I'll say that self-advocacy and, and self-promotion for me in particular has consistently been a bit more of a, a growth area throughout my career. That one consistent piece of, of feedback that I've gotten is that I didn't necessarily self-promote and I would have, you know, interesting conversations with, with leaders. I'm, I'm typically always going to be the last person to walk into someone's uh, office virtually or otherwise and say, guess what I did today? I did this amazing thing and, you know, um, try to try to sort of impress someone in that way. I definitely have always been more comfortable with even if the effort that I was doing had the most impactful outcome, um, surfacing the success of other people and, and giving credit where I felt it was due. So while I still maintain that strategy, you know, and I I'd honestly believe that that's really what what leadership is. Um, it, it's not about making whatever the effort is or the outcomes in is about yourself. I, like I have no desire to be famous, so to speak, but I do have the desire to see um, progress and and impart change within whether it's within this organization or or within the world. But in some cases, because I do also do a lot of uh, career advancement. Um, sort of consulting or advice within and outside the organizations. In some cases, I have to, you know, sort of take my own advice. And even if it's uncomfortable, realize when and where it's appropriate. I recently worked in a partnership with, with Google to get all of our North America WLN leads through a session called I Am Remarkable. I Am Remarkable essentially takes the, the stigma out of self-promotion for women in, in particular, but also it affects other people in, in the margins where it is not your first instinct to sort of even whether to negotiate around salary or just sort of step up and say, hey, by the way, I'm, I'm remarkable. So the session sort of steps back to remove that stigma and focuses on, you know, sort of it's not bragging if, it, if it's facts. <laughs> so what we did was to take that entire team through that session, um, but not just the, the training itself. They actually, in a two-part series with the session, were able to go through a train the trainer. So now they are all trained facilitators to be able to deliver that course um, and share that empowerment you know, for themselves and, and in their um, own personal networks if they choose to do that as well. So, you know, I have had to step back and sort of um, take my take my own advice in some cases and just realize, you know, now is an appropriate time to, to do this. And it's still not comfortable, frankly, but it is necessary. Geraldine, you touched a little bit on this in your previous answer. As important as self-advocacy is, you also talk about advocacy for others. So I guess the question is, what ways have you worked to promote or elevate the people around you throughout your career? So that's always been one of my my passion points, um, and regardless of what role that I've I've ever held in any organization, that has been my focus. I love to see potential realized in others. I love to see growth and recognition. Um, so whether it is outside the organization, in partnering with um, there's an organization I partner with that focuses on women who have found themselves in tough situations. A, a woman may have left in the middle of the night with nothing but the clothes on her back and her child to sort of um, escape an abusive situation. And these are women from all walks of life, but they have to get back on their feet. And 
in walking through them in terms of like going back to an interview, regaining their confidence, even understanding if they, they might need to change um, industries or look at what their job set skills are and, and really going over an, an interview process and a resume and saying, you don't even see the transferable job skills that, that you that you have here. Like seeing that recognition of potential even in that individual um, is is a huge a huge win for for me. Previously in my delivery role in the organization, there was a time where I had probably far too many people reporting to me um, because there were people like even though I was in, in delivery and program management, there might have been a couple of QAs or other people who were aligned to me because. They knew that I, with with intention, would put a growth plan together to to see even if it was a capability change, what were the things that could be done to really amplify what that person could actually bring to to the table for themselves and for the organization, and and find what that sort of best match was, and actually make it happen. So I I continue to try and do that in in everything that I do, and I I think you know questions like this, for example. Um, where we were just talking about the self-advocacy piece, like, yeah, I'm sort of giving myself credit for the progress I've made for other people. So even this is an exercise for me. It still feels uncomfortable in some ways to say, yeah, I, I did this thing or yeah, I helped these people in, in, in these ways because it's just it's just never what it's about for me. But um, if I'm, you know, just to be, to be totally honest, that that is the, the thing that I think um, continues to inspire me. Um, regardless of how difficult some of the conversations or the, the exercises to get through some of this work does get, um, it is really being able to continue to influence that recognition of, of potential and promise in, in a range of people. So obviously self-advocacy and advocacy for others have become more challenging in our new remote working reality. How do you think in this new reality, these tactics need to change and evolve to continue to be successful in brand building for yourself and for others? I agree that it is even more critical uh, in today's environment. You know, you, you almost have no choice but to advocate for yourself because of the the isolation. Far less frequent are the opportunities for somebody to observe the thing that you you might be doing and advocate for you if you don't have sort of an intentional mentorship or sponsorship or understanding with that individual that that's that's how you sort of partner in elevating each other. So I think that's one tactic in, in particular is having someone who, or multiple people who you're working with to make sure that you're championing for each other in and out of teams. You need to be able to, with intention, speak up for yourself to know who your allies are and what the actual protocol is for being able to provide that awareness. Because I think some of that shifts in this dynamic as well in terms of who really needs to be aware and what um, sort of impact and and influence actually look like. You know, when we have dynamics where things are shifted and we're limited even around um, promotions or merit increases, I I think some of the onus is also on the managers to open the door and create opportunities for people to be able to self-advocate. Um, and there's probably a training opportunity somewhere in there. You know, we, we know that from a manager standpoint, managers under a tremendous amount of, of pressure, but all managers are wired differently, right? So if you have a manager who is um, typically in a normal working environment, struggles through the niceties of how was your weekend before they can get to the deliverables, in this environment where we're anticipating that people are need to be mindful of psychological safety, um, even for their, their team members, people might not be equipped 
for for that. And it's not even necessarily a fault or a negative around the, the individual, but we, but we need to be able to expect managers to do some of that. Um, so I think the ways in which we also train and, and let managers understand that it is going to be more difficult for people to, to self-advocate in this environment is going to be important. Let's pivot for a moment. What role has bravery played in your career growth? The element of bravery is something that was instilled in me from childhood. Um, my father, uh, there were definitely a, a long list of things that I, I was not allowed to, to do. And it's not, it's not a typical list that probably maybe comes to mind. Um, like I was taught that I was not allowed to not vote, <laughs> for example. Um, there were just certain things just, just by virtue of all of the, the effort and struggle that had happened before me that it was, there was no way that I was, I was going to be able to absolve myself of the responsibility of certain things. One of the things that he also taught me um, and, and really was very, very quite persistent about making sure I got this message was that I was not allowed to be intimidated. Um, he very specifically would say, if you waste your time in life worrying about the limitations that someone else is going to put on you because of their own lack of understanding and what they're ascribing to you about your abilities based on your being a, a woman and being a black woman at that, you're never going to get anything accomplished. Bypass it and do not be intimidated. And that translated you know, ultimately to, to bravery, to the point where there were um, definitely multiple times throughout my career where like, a young woman, for example, would come and say, like how, like, how did you, can you just tell me how you did that? Like, you completely bypassed the boys club. And in a way, I realized that what my father had told me had put blinders on me to a certain extent, because I was like, oh, the, there was a boys club. And it's not that I don't believe that those things exist. They absolutely do. But it was sort of up to me to a certain extent, how I allowed those things to limit whether I was going to engage or just be intimidated by it and, and not even bother. It's such a great story. If you waste your time in life worrying about the limitations someone else puts on you, you're never going to get anything accomplished. Yeah. And it, it's, I think, you know, Adrian, it's so easy, especially with today when you have so many things that tell you otherwise. I mean, we can have this as a totally separate conversation, but I think that there's a very interesting dynamic about some of the things that come up about, um, specifically about about race and, and anti-blackness as it relates to the to the U.S., where parents consistently, and this is not just about you know our, our, our black talent. This is about people in the margins, overarching, where there is this there is this lesson, these lessons that beyond look both ways before you cross the street and don't talk to strangers. There is an element of you have to work twice as hard to, to be half as good. And even though those teachings are done with the intent for betterment and preparedness, you have to know that from just from a, a overarching psychological standpoint, the same ways that someone tells a child, like you're never going to be anything, you're never going to amount to anything. It's drilled into your head to anticipate it in every situation. It's when you have someone who comes to this country, potentially from Jamaica or Africa, who or a more homogenous environment where that lesson wasn't necessarily taught in that same way, they don't see or perceive some of the same barriers. It's where you get some of the elements of like, what do you mean? This is the land of opportunity. You can make anything happen. It, it's, some, it's some of the sort of, um, it also creates a barrier. I think it's important and I think the lessons are important, but they also, you know, in some cases can be damaging or, or limiting. And so I'm continually grateful. It's not that I didn't have those lessons, but I think that notion of, 
oh, by the way, this is what it is, but damn it, you better ignore it like it doesn't exist if you anticipate to get anything done. It struck a balance for me that actually made me push forward beyond it. I would really love for the listeners to have a very specific example of a time that you self-advocated for yourself at any point in your career path. Is there a time? There is. And interestingly enough, I had to advocate for myself, but it was also in the spirit of advocating for others, which is probably why I was able to sort of step in and, and do it so swiftly. You know, I, I shared initially that when it comes to being mindful of people in the margins and when elements of microaggression or other things come up, I, I tended to start to take the opportunity to have it as a, a more of a learning moment um, and what good could come out of it. So when I when I shared the anecdote about what happened in the elevator, the, one of the key takeaways for me was that it wasn't just happening to me, that it was happening to other people in the margins, but the other pieces that I still had to, from that elevator, walk into a client meeting and and kill it. And so, you know, a specific example that actually had something to do with a, a client was a, a presentation that I had to give. We had done an effort to create a product recommendation tool for a beauty client and the in consumer, the user happened to be for women of color. We actually were really proud of the effort because there were just a lot of intricacies in, in developing it. Um, and it was the quite a lot of complicated layers to, to getting the, the sort of tool off the ground. So we go and we present it. I end up being the person to do the actual presentation. And it is a very senior level client. I'm limiting what I'm saying about the like sort of the review type because I don't want to reveal who the client is. The client sort of looked at me from across the table. And this is in a, a, a boardroom. There were probably about 20 people in the room, uh, including my team those that I reported to and those that reported to me at the time. And the client looked at me and said, you know, this is amazing work, but it's too smart, in my opinion, for this consumer. I, I don't even know that this consumer has, and this will give you an indication of the time, um, that this consumer even has broadband access or the ability to really understand how to use this tool. And uh, again, ultimately, the, the, the end user was uh, women of color, specifically, specifically Black women. So. As a black woman, I, and as I looked around the room and there were a few other things that he said, I realized that no one on my team was going to come to my sort of defense or, you know, sort of defend the work <laughs> or the, or the effort or what we had done around the personas and around the consumer. And those who understood, you know, what was actually happening in the room, most of them just put their, their head down. If they could have disappeared from the room, they would have. Um, and, and in that moment, especially because it was a client, I had the opportunity to either try to set the record straight and stand up for not just myself, but for the work that the team had put together and as well as for, for this consumer that I happened to represent. And so again, I took it as an educational opportunity and, and told him instead that this user actually over indexes for all the platforms that we've shared with you today, et cetera. And ultimately we were able to push the work through and we you know, were able to get a contract signed, but it took eight weeks for anyone to even acknowledge what had sort of transpired in the room to say anything to me about even the way that I had handled it. That notion for self-advocacy is extremely important, especially in those situations where you know no one else is going to speak up for you. You have to decide ultimately, are you going to let it pass and, you know, sort of let it manifest into um, making someone else feel comfortable 
or are you going to call it out and correct it? Self-advocacy is one thing, but everybody needs a little help. It would be interesting to know, did you have some help along the way? Did you have great mentors? Did you seek them out yourself? What were the relationships that helped you move throughout your career? Beyond what I mentioned about childhood and some of the things that were, were instilled in me growing up, when I started my career on the, on the client side at 1-800-Flowers, I worked with an, an amazing woman who saw my potential. Um, she put me in my very first situation where I was presenting to, to C-suite leadership. And even in that conversation, I actually had a hard stop. And she was impressed with the fact that I sort of you know, said what I had to say and did my presentation and then excused myself. Um, and that part came from, from some of the not being an intimidated piece. But I think what's interesting about the, the way that relationship continued is, A, I was in awe of her to begin with because she had taken this marketing role on at 1-800-Flowers, but she had previously worked for like doing marketing in McDonald's. Like she was literally living in Hawaii doing marketing for McDonald's. Still to this day, you know, we have many conversations as we've had. I don't know why she left that particular job. I was really sort of disappointed when she ultimately left the organization because she had been such an inspiration for me. They definitely exposed me to careers that I didn't even know necessarily existed. But what I didn't expect to happen was a couple of months after that, she called me and said, you know, I, I need you on my team. So for me, I, at that time, with 100 Flowers being uh, located, the headquarters is in Westbury, Long Island. I live in Long Island. I, my commute to work was a, a 12 minute drive. You know, I had no an anticipation of like really doing anything else at that time. But the, the role that she had left to take was in Manhattan at an ad agency. And when she called me, she said, I need you on my team. <laughs> And I'm like, what are you talking about? Essentially, she had been hired to revamp the entire team. So she had to basically exit everyone and start over. That was her directive. And she asked me to join her. That was the first time, which now I've been, I've been commuting prior to COVID for um, over 20 years. Um, I took the opportunity. I worked with her. It's how I got into client services she was my VP group account director um, on the, the businesses that I was working on. I enjoyed it. I had a tremendous amount of growth there. And then ultimately she left and she went to Omnicom. And then same cadence, two months later, she called me and she's like, so I have to do the same thing again, but I need you on my team here. And so I left to, to, to join her there as well. So that same act happened one more time where she called me into her office and said, so I'm, I'm leaving. But this time she left for what was her own life calling. She had this amazing apartment on Central Park West and for the role and influence that she had in the organization. I'd never, I don't think, was more proud of her in terms of the things that she opted to do. She opted to go into the ministry. So she gave up everything. She gave up that apartment. She gave up everything. And she went um, into, into seminary. And that's still what she's, what she's doing to this day. Um, so from then, I, you know, I was sort of on my own in terms of you know, additional opportunities or what I might want to do. But the amount of exposure and contacts that I had, I was able to create based on the positions that I was in because I had sort of what ultimately started from a mentorship, but sort of became a sponsor. Then that's when I left Omnicom and went to, went to Publicis. But by then, she had definitely instilled in me sort of like, 
um, even though you're not comfortable in terms of like what you might want to ask for, this is how you need to position it. Sort of like I guess that, that follow-up course to not being intimidated of, of sort of knowing your worth. With the strength of the legacy that your father has left you and the lessons that he imparted to you that impacted you so significantly, what have you done in your career to control the narrative around your own personal brand and story and then how that's going to translate into how people remember you and what your legacy is? So it, it's interesting because I definitely think that that has a, a tie-in as well to the sort of self-advocacy piece because in order to create your own own brand, you know, you have to be able to or, or willing or wanting to tell that story as a, as a priority. That part hasn't always been a priority for me. It's been more priority for me to do that for, for other people. What I've found, though, in terms of the impact that that has had is that the takeaway that people often give that I'm or, or get that I'm trusted. If I say something or I give guidance People, A, know and understand the place that it's coming from. It's always coming from a place of, of giving and growth, never to minimize that I'm not going to steer anyone in a wrong direction and that I'm pretty much often capable of being neutral um, in a situation. Like I don't necessarily have to agree to give guidance. Typically, I think some of the key takeaways from interactions with me in terms of what my own legacy will indicate are, are elements of trust, elements of being able to be neutral enough in a situation to be mindful of all of the perspectives that are engaged and ideate towards the solution that is best for everyone. I think there's also an, an, an element of do no harm. Right. So it's about sort of striking the balance of what is best for the greater good, um, but at the same time being mindful of sort of the, the consequences that come through getting to whatever that final solution is. 